Good morning, and welcome to this edition of A Public Affair on KGNU with the Community Foundation of Boulder County. I'm your host, Jim Williams, Dean Emeritus of University Libraries for CU Boulder, and I'm a trustee for your Community Foundation. Today, I'm joined by Sue Anderson and Byron Kumenick, both are former Peace Corps members who went on to lead Work Making a Difference globally, nationally, around Colorado, and right here in Boulder County. I'm really looking forward to a little inspiration to this morning from them both. We're going to talk about their service and how that service helped shape their leadership and skills and how that translates into their careers and volunteer leadership. Welcome, Sue, and welcome, Byron. I also want to mention, coincidentally, that Sue is the current chair of the board for the Community Foundation of Boulder County. Let's start with you, Sue. What drew you to the Peace Corps? When and where did you serve? And what was the focus of your Peace Corps work? Well, thanks, Jim. Um, I served in the early 80s in Mali, West Africa, and I was a forester in the Sahara. So just let that sink in for a moment, a forester in the Sahara. A forester uh, in the Sahara? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, uh, what my I'm job seeing was, lots of I'm seeing lots of trees in the sand. <laughs> right. Right. Well, um, I, I, it was a it was a somewhat unusual um, forestry role, and my background had been in environmental studies, so I, you know, tangentially maybe had some skill, but really not much. Recent college graduate, what did I really know about forestry without even having a degree in forestry? But it really didn't matter because there really aren't any trees where I was. So my job was um, uh, planting and managing a village woodlot. So planting little trees, like a little nursery of trees that I could do. And, but more importantly and sort of relevant, I think was uh, planning for fuel efficiency, energy efficiency, really, in terms of women's cooking on, uh, previously they'd been cooking on open fires and we were building more fuel efficient mud stoves because there wasn't enough fuel for them really to cook on. And that's, so it was, it was really an energy efficiency project as well as making their lives easier. But uh, in terms of your question of what drew me to Peace Corps, I think that was sort of preordained. Um, for me, I, I had my parents uh, were very, very community minded, very service minded. My grandparents were as well. So uh, Peace Corps wasn't my first round of community service. I had been doing community service in various ways in my own community and, uh, and, and in other places since I was really little. So I think it was just sort of a natural thing that um, that I would do Peace Corps or, you know, uh, cause I had also alternatively at that time there was Vista, which was the domestic, essentially the domestic version of Peace Corps. Now we have AmeriCorps, 
and I think we still have Vista. Um, and so it wasn't, I was choosing between the two, but I, it was sort of, it was a natural thing for me to do that after college. Great. Byron, same question. What drew you to the Peace Corps? Where did you serve? And what was the focus of your work? Yeah, hi, Jim. Um, similar to Sue, I I joined the Peace Corps right out of college, uh, just to, in uh, the early 2000s. So I, I served in the Peace Corps 2004-2006 in Cameroon as a physics and computer literacy teacher. Uh, so we were on the border of, in Cameroon, on the border of Nigeria, in the Cross River Valley, um, working on educating farm kids about uh, physics and computers. And what what drew me to Peace Corps, I, I've struggled with this thought over time of of wanting to say that it was it was purely altruistic that I wanted to be of service to mankind and the world. But but when it boils down to, it, I really wanted adventure. At the age of twenty one, I wanted to get out of the the country. I wanted to see another part, learn more languages, uh, ride motorcycles, do do different things. And Peace Corps was a great way to to get a lot of experiences uh, in a really tight time frame of. Um, of two years of, I, I grew up a lot. In those well, I answered this question for both uh, you and Sue. What was the application process, Byron? Um, it was, let's see, I, I basically told them that I didn't want to go anywhere cold. And they <laughs> said, how about Africa? And I said, that'd be great. What could I do there? said, how about be a physics teacher? You were an engineer in college. I said, deal. So um, it was just filling out a form, dealing with some medical stuff. And then I didn't get to pick what country or exactly what program. Uh, just one day I, I received a package in the mail saying, you're going to Cameroon. And that's how that went down. Other than applying, did you have to be nominated for the Peace Corps? No, it was an uh, application. Strictly an application. All right, back to Sue. How did your experiences shape your thinking about climate change, Sue? And how does that show up in your life today? Oh, wow, about climate change. Well, you know, it's interesting since I was doing, um, you know, really low tech energy efficiency work, I, I suppose, some of what, what I was doing was about climate change, but I had been actually pretty interested in energy issues and climate change before going into the Peace Corps. And in fact, my bachelor's thesis, because I went to a college that required a bachelor's thesis, was on solar energy adopters in the state of Vermont. So I had already been doing, um, uh, you know, some related work around energy stuff. And, that, you know, and that's, this was, you know, 19... 80. So we were talking about um, really some of the earlier energy um, pioneers uh, doing, you know, really uh, basic uh, solar hot water kinds of things and, and passive solar house designs and things like that. So I'd been pretty interested in that stuff prior to Peace Corps. And, you know, in the early 80s, uh, the science was coming out about climate change, but we weren't talking about it as climate change. Uh, but um, I think that just the work around uh, watching people's lives in West Africa 
in the Sahara and people trying to cook using what little fuel there was and what they were doing was was burning dung which was needed um for uh fertilizing their fields and they were burning dung for fuel so we were trying to change that dynamic so that they could continue to have what they needed to fertilize fields and but you know it's a drought i mean it's, it's a desert and there, there weren't trees and there weren't shrubs and there wasn't enough fuel of that type. So we were trying to make, uh, to introduce energy efficiency so that people weren't burning over open fires or burning over mud stoves, which required a lot less fuel. So I, I you know, and I think I've thought about that. Not only did I think about it before I went in, uh, I thought about that a lot since. And what are all the ways that we can do much better in terms of our energy efficiency. And I've spent a lot of my career volunteer-wise doing that kind of work. Well, we, we're going to uh, take a, a brief break. I wanna take a moment to thank our listeners for tuning into KGNU's A Public Affair this morning. I'm speaking today with Sue Anderson and Byron Kumenick about community leadership. Both are former Peace Corps volunteers. And now I want to get back to Byron and ask him about climate change and what did his experience as a Peace Corps volunteer, what did, what did uh, that experience change in his life in terms of thinking about climate change? You know, Jim, I, I had grown up in a, in a city in Northeast Tennessee and went to college out in Iowa. And I, I was used to small towns and, and not really seeing the impact that people had on the planet uh, growing up for the most part. And when I, when I joined the Peace Corps, it really showed me quite viscerally how people impact the environment. As I mentioned prior, I was in Cameroon um, in the Cross River Valley uh, in between our, near Nigeria and there's it's a large jungle area where uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of wildlife away from human settlements and oftentimes I would ask people there uh, why they thought there weren't any animals around the human settlements uh, why were they only out in the bush and oftentimes people would respond to me saying oh you know they, they just got scared of us and they and they ran away they didn't really take into consideration that all the hunting of the wildlife actually reduce their numbers. They thought the number of animals was always the same, uh, no matter how much you pulled from it, just because there always had been animals, that means there always will be animals. And the more hunting, the more bush meat that was sold in the areas, the farther and farther away the hunters had to go to find the meat. And, and the fewer and fewer animals we would ever hear about interacting with people. And across Africa, that's, uh, that remains an issue to today. And it also opened up my eyes and appreciation for our impacts on our atmosphere of we may not see that we're putting out uh, so much CO2 uh, to be able to uh, create global warming. However, that impact is happening and we have to trust scientists to be able to let us know that that's what's happening and make a change. I think our audience would listening to you and Sue would really think that your 
both of your projects were quite challenging. If you um, would think for a moment, how do you think your experience with these challenging projects, um, how do you think about those projects and how to provide service to a community and to provide leadership within a community? Either one of you, please take a shot at that question. Sue? Okay. I had to think about that one for a minute, Jim. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, any time you're engaged in, in community service, and I, and I, you know, honestly, as a Peace Corps volunteer right out of college, I don't know how much I really helped anybody over there. I mean, I like to believe that maybe I did. Um, but, you know, I quickly came to believe that um, that I, people like me, I wasn't the right, I shouldn't be doing what I was doing. That if I had any skills, I needed to train people locally to do that work, not have me doing that work. So I think that, you know, right off the bat, that's sort of one thing that I, I came to that conclusion very quickly. I did go on and do more international development work after Peace Corps, um, but, you know, mostly did projects and did that that really were about engaging local people to to do the work and and to continue the work after i was gone and i didn't do that for very long because i really felt like uh, we had enough community service needs in a, in our own country but going back to the the question so i think that was one thing that i learned pretty quickly but I think the other thing is just figuring out how to, you know, if you are working in an environment where in my case, uh, there were three languages that were not English that were spoken in the context of our projects. French was the governmental language. Bambara was the language of one part of the country and Dogon was the language of the area where I was. So sometimes there were multiple languages being spoken and figuring out how to navigate though that kind of um, cultural differences, uh, not even cultural differences between me and the people I was working with, but amongst the people I was working with from different parts of the country, uh, it it I think inevitably has to give you some skills in communicating with people who are different, communicating, understanding, and appreciating those differences. And figuring out how to how to um, you know, get to to get something done uh, when you're working with with people who have come from very different backgrounds, come from uh, different perspectives on whatever the problem is that you're trying to serve. I think those are skills that can be applied pretty much to any problem in this country or or other countries. How about it, Byron? What about, would, what about your experience in shaping your thinking on how to provide service to a community and how to provide leadership within a community? I'd fully agree with Sue on uh, Peace Corps trains you in uh, cross-cultural expression, cross-cultural uh, discussions, not just uh, not just in a foreign language. They, they trained us in French and pidgin English. Uh, 
uh, we also had to learn how to work within those those cultures and that's what traveling to any other part of the world is going to teach you how to uh, have cross-cultural exchanges and that's important for uh, learning how to put yourself in somebody else's shoes to be able to communicate with them better it's less about what it is that you want to say and more about what you want them to understand and trying to communicate along those lines has been uh, effective in my career since uh, since Peace Corps. I, I would add on uh, similar to what Sue said of um, all, all my experiences from Peace Corps and through my diplomatic work thereafter, uh, I learned that the most effective leadership and community service is done in a, when you, you are a known quantity to the community, when um, you're not seen as an outsider, when you understand the culture, when you understand the history and societal change that's going on there you can have the most impact on, on that community uh, since, you're, since you're a part of that community. And so from my over six years in different parts of Africa working thereafter, uh, I decided I want to come back to um, a culture that I, I understand better and take the skills that I've used overseas and use it here in the, the community that I now live in. Terrific. I'm going to now take us to a question about leadership. When you both reflect on the moment that we're now in, and here I'm talking about COVID, intensified race relations, political tensions, climate crisis, etc. What from your service and community leadership experience to this date, what do you think now is the leadership opportunity ready to be seized? What, what, what attitudes or actions do you think will help lead us to an improved new kind of moment? Uh, well, I th here's what I think. We need to be listening. We need to be attentive and responsive to what is um, happening around us. Uh, I think those are really important things. I think, um, you know, in the case of the Community Foundation, you know, our leadership, I think, can be about helping to center the community in this time of, of really intense turmoil, uh, convening, uh, building stronger partnerships and collaborations, mobilizing resources, um, you know, I mean, that's what we do. We're a foundation. We should be mobilizing resources, but we should also be uh, offering thought leadership. And, you know, and that means all of the principles that we uh, aspire to at the Community Foundation uh, are, you know, our North Star of, of equity. Um, uh, do nothing about us uh, without us. We need to include the community if, if we're moving forward with an initi initiative. We should be including the community voices and, and knowing what those community voices are saying that they need or want um, in you know whatever effort we're, we're moving forward. Um, and you know, to me, leader, leadership is some of the best leadership comes from from behind. It's not about you know being top down. It's about uh, engaging people, finding out what they need, and then trying to help help. Um, build those bridges and build those connections to be able to make those things happen. How about it, Byron? 
Um, I think in any culture, a, a leader needs to be honest, needs to be truthful, needs to lay out the situation, make it bare to the people at, at of what is the actual situation and not distorting the truth. Because people people see it. People will understand that you're not telling the truth. They can they can sort it out themselves and they'll be able to uh, and that, that will undermine one's leadership. So we, we need our leaders, our, our elected officials to, to emulate that and to uh, bring people forward with them as opposed to pushing people uh, away. Would you like to see more? Are you satisfied with, with the amount of leadership you see today? Or are you actually saying that you'd also like to see more leadership? Oh, I think we could always use more leadership. Uh, I, I think that can be at the community level, at the state level, at the national level of, of having our, our leaders uh, step up, um, let us know the situation, be ready, be ready to push forward with um, progressive new plans, something that will actually have a long-term benefit to our society as opposed to looking at something that'll just help them out for an election cycle. Is the Peace Corps still focused on young people? No, it's for no, all ages. No. Yeah. Not right. entirely. I think, you know, when I served and when people, uh, you know, I think largely in the 60s and 70s and, and into the 80s served, it was a lot of young people. It was a lot of people right out of college. Um, and it, you know, sometimes, you know, as Byron said, I think a lot of people went into Peace Corps because of um, a desire for adventure, uh, not necessarily because we thought we actually had skills to offer. So I think that that's, um, but I think that's changed. I think Peace Corps has really uh, recognized that maybe 21-year-olds with very little, um, you know, life experience, maybe not the best people to to do certain tasks. And, you know, have been recruit, have recruited, you know, retirees, people who've had, you know, long careers uh, behind them. And, and I, I think it's a much uh, more age-wise, much more diverse uh, workforce uh, that's, that's much more specific and really recruiting for people with, with real skills. And I mean, I'm not trying to belittle people who, like me, who <laughs> went into Peace Corps with really not a whole heck of a lot to offer. Uh, other than a desire to make the world a better place. That's not actually often enough. And I'm just thinking about Byron's experience of teaching physics and, and computers. I mean, you know, when I was in the Peace Corps, computers were not really, they were not a thing that people had. Um, I mean, they existed, but they were big, big rooms. <laughs> they, were, they were the size of a room. So, um, you know, it, it's, it was a different world. and. And I think that requires a different set of skills that we as the U.S. are deploying in our volunteers. You know, so I'd add on to that one of the. Yes, the older generation can uh, provide strong, strong skills to help improve, uh, provide development opportunities. And, and then the young people joining into the Peace Corps today, they're going to be learning a whole new skill set that will be useful for them throughout the rest of their career. Like for me, it, it taught me French. It taught me how to work overseas. And I kept going back to Africa, working on various projects. And that became my profession for 12 years. And there's plenty of diplomats overseas that served in the Peace Corps first. And I always found that the diplomats that I interacted with that served in the Peace Corps uh, 
worked with me a lot more, uh, a lot easier than I did with folks that weren't used to living overseas in uh, more difficult situations that Peace Corps volunteers were more accustomed to. Um, and I, I would venture to say within the U.S. Agency for International Development, of which I was a part, I would say at least a quarter of the people that are there were our former Peace Corps volunteers helping to represent our country overseas. Oh, absolutely. I think that's all very true. I think the skills that our volunteers learn are tremendous and, and absolutely worthwhile. Um, but if people go into it thinking that, um, you know, it's all a one-way street about us providing service in the countries where we are, it's not. It's very much a two-way street. What do you both remember about your orientation going into the Peace Corps? Was there a leadership focus on that orientation? Our, my orientation, when, when we did orientation in those days, uh, we did orientation here in the U.S. And then I probably in Byron's case, orientation might have been in, in country. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, and and then we went to language training in country, but our orientation uh, was in Philadelphia, um, which is kind of different from Mali. You know, my, my first three days in the Peace Corps were, were in Philadelphia, too, funny enough. And then uh, and then we had two and a half months in Cameroon doing uh, language as well as cross cultural training. And uh, I remember being. Uh, uh, becoming the sickest I ever was in my life there with uh, bacterial dysentery. No joke. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was the sickest I ever was in my life when I was in Peace Corps. Really? Oh, yeah. I had malaria. I had, oh, I had all kinds of things. Well, Byron and Sue, my gosh, there's so much more that we could talk about this morning about your experiences. But we appreciate the leadership that you have provided to your communities. And for our listeners today, I want to thank them for tuning into the Community Foundation's monthly program on KGU Public Affair. You can learn more about the Community Foundation of Boulder County at C-O-M-M-F-O-U-N-D dot org. We'll be back with you on KGNU's A Public Affair on October 26th. Let's thank Byron and Sue once more. And to our audience, be well.